Well, good morning, church. It's great to be here in worship with you this morning. Today we're going to be looking at the reading from uh, the prophet Isaiah. And I have to tell you, this reading came at just the right time for me because I don't know about you, but as I've been following all that's been going on in the world, uh, the, the terror attacks in France, Boko Haram in, um, in Central Africa, uh, murdering thousands of people, kidnapping girls, and ISIS in the Middle East brutally killing hostages and, and burning that uh, pilot alive. And of course, the, the, the issue of people all over the world living in modern-day slavery and crushing poverty, not to mention everything going on in our own country, shootings in our cities and homelessness and crime and <laughs> drug addiction and overdose, child abuse and abandonment. And uh, with everything going on, sometimes I wonder... Where is God? Where is he? Is he there? Does he notice? Does he care? I mean, it would be easy for people to wonder that, I think. And it would be easy for us to take matters into our own hands and to lash out in hate at those who seem to hate us. It would also be easy for us to lose hope and just to fall into despair. The problems are just too big and nothing can solve them. And so I want to take a few moments today to look at the reading from Isaiah, that, the 40th chapter, because in so many ways, this passage speaks directly to issues like these. So take out your Bibles, turn to Isaiah, or grab your bulletin and turn to page 3. It's printed right there in your bulletin. This passage comes right after those glorious words announcing comfort for God's people. You remember how Isaiah 40 begins. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. It's an amazing word of comfort for a people that were facing enemies on all sides, for a people living in a world rife with violence and danger. And yet, as the chapter progresses, you see that the people still wonder if God is really going to follow through. Because even though he has announced comfort in the end of war, in the end of suffering, uh, look at the world. Are the wars over? Has suffering come to an end? Is everything as it should be? And the answer is no. I was sitting with a couple, uh, uh, well, I guess it was five years ago now, and they had two little kids. And I was sitting with them in the hospital room, and they were waiting on the oncologist to return. And, the, and he did. He came while I was there, and he gave them the worst possible news. This young man, he was a young dad, and he had been, uh, got, he'd been diagnosed with, with this really aggressive form of cancer, and they tried everything, the chemo and the radiation, uh, for months. But through that time, the cancer only got worse. He died six months after that day. And I remember every time he came forward for communion with his little three-year-old girl in his arms, and it just broke my heart. A friend of mine lost her mother when a teenage driver was going too fast and ran into her mom while she was riding a bike, just riding a bike down the street, and the teenager ran her over. It was a terrible shot to, to the family. And it was made even worse when two years later, almost to the day, her dad was hit by a teenage driver and also killed while he was riding a bike. Last year, a young mom, she used to babysit my kids. She was my kid's favorite babysitter. She put her four-month-old child down for a nap. And while the child was down for a nap, he worked his way over to the side of the bed and fell off and got trapped between the bedside table and the bed and suffocated and died. 
a sweet couple from my old church. She had a son, they had a son named Tommy. He was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. His favorite thing was playing with those little matchbox cars. And um, he died when he was just five years old. That was 50 years ago for this couple. But talking about it today, they still tear up. And his dad still has each one of his little matchbox cars. The reason I tell you all that is because this world is not as it should be. Anybody with any sense can see that. And sometimes, especially when the brokenness happens to someone I love, when senseless suffering or tragedy strikes nearby, I wonder if God is paying any attention at all to what's going on down here. And if he is paying attention, does he care when he sees this suffering? In this passage from Isaiah, we see that God's people tend to react in one of two ways to this, either in arrogance and control on one side, or they just lose hope and they despair on the other. That's where the people of God generally, generally live. They, they, either live uh, they either get arrogant and they want to control the situation, or uh, they just simply lose hope and they despair. And you can see both of these ways in Isaiah chapter 40. Look with me at verse 27. I think it's on page 4. In this verse, you can hear how arrogant the people are when they are talking to God. They say, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right, my justice is disregarded by my God. And do you see what they're complaining about? They're saying that God isn't acting the way they want him to act that he isn't doing things their way according to their plan, their timetable. My way, my right, they say. God isn't paying attention. They want God to act on their behalf and to do it when they want him to and how they want him to. And think about how arrogant that kind of demand is. I mean, one of the images that Hebrew scripture gives us about God and his people is the image of a shepherd with his sheep. God is the shepherd, his people are the sheep. And sheep generally don't boss the shepherd around. It wouldn't even occur to them to try. They follow the shepherd, and yet here are God's sheep complaining that their shepherd isn't doing it their way. And so Isaiah reminds the people that they forget who they are dealing with. Look at verse 28. He says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And what he's saying is this. We are so quick to forget that we can't see things from God's point of view. To us, it might seem like what we care about doesn't matter to God. Does he hear us? Does he even care? But verse 28 puts the the present difficulties in a different perspective. The Lord is the everlasting God, which means that he has in view the things of eternity, not just the here and now, but the forever things. One way to translate that phrase, the everlasting God, is to say that he is the God of the long view, the God of the ages. In fact, the rest of the verse tells us that he does not faint, he does not grow weary, because he's ready for the long haul. For us, when things are bad and it seems like God isn't doing anything, sometimes all that, all that really means is that God isn't doing things like we would do them if we were God. But it doesn't mean that he's not at work. It doesn't mean that he isn't ultimately in control. But just like the people in Isaiah's day, we are quick to wonder if God is paying attention. I mean, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. I prayed for that young dad to be healed of his cancer. 
because I saw his little three-year-old girl and how he would carry them, carry her to communion each week. He would just be hugging her to himself. And I begged God to heal him, to spare him, to let that sweet little girl have her dad as she grew up. And I don't know why God didn't heal him, but he didn't. And I think that if I were God, I would have. And sometimes I feel like I know better than God. I mean, don't you sometimes feel like you know better? And I want to cry out to him. I don't think you get how hard it is down here. I don't think you get how much it hurts sometimes. I don't think you get how scary it can be and how alone we can feel. That's the other way that God's people tend to react to him. They lose hope. They despair. We can see it earlier in chapter 40 when they say this. This isn't in your bulletin, I'm sorry. It's it's verse 6. All people are grass. They are like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. And when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. And then in our reading today, they return to that image and they say in verse 24, scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem even taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. Arrogance and control on one side is how the people react, but also loss of hope and despair on the other. We think we're just like the grass. Why would God care anyway about us if we're just like the grass that just withers and then is gone in a moment? Why would he care? And so far, none of this sounds like good news to me. So I get that. And hopefully this, this, will, this will give us some good news. This is why God cares. I want to I share with you three thoughts to wrap up this, this little sermon. And the first thought is this. I'm sorry, this is not printed in your bulletin. But if you've got your Bibles, this is Isaiah 40. It's the same chapter, but it's before what we read this morning. It starts in verse 9. This is right after the people lament that all flesh is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. Right, right after that, Isaiah says this. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good tidings. Lift it up and fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold The Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, now listen to this. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. What is his reward? Is he talking about the reward that God is going to give to his people when he shows up? Is that what his reward is? What's the reward that God has with him as he is coming? When you look at the text, it's not talking about a reward that he's going to give to somebody else. The text says that it is his reward. He has his reward with him. And so what is his reward? The very next verse tells us. It says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. His reward is is his flock. His reward, people, his reward is us. That's what his reward is. The people lamented and despaired. They said, we're just like the grass. Why would God care about us? And yet the answer is, he cares about us because we're his. We're his flock. We're his reward. That's number one. He cares about us because we're his reward. And number two is this. 
One of my favorite songwriters was a man named Rich Mullins. Maybe some of you have heard of him. But he wrote some of the most heartfelt songs. And they just really, they were, they were, they were my songs when I was growing up in the Lord. And in one of the last songs that he wrote, he was singing to God and he said, You who live in heaven, you hear the prayers of those of us who live on earth, who are afraid of being left by those we love and who get hardened by the hurt. Do you remember when you lived down here where we all scrape to find the faith to ask for daily bread? Did you forget about us after you had flown away? Well, I memorized every word you said, but still I'm so scared. I'm holding my breath. And it seems like you're up there just playing hard to get. Sometimes we forget that God knows what this life is like. He does know how hard this life can be, how painful and how much it can hurt. Because in Jesus, he came and he lived this life. And not only that, but he entered into the darkness of it, the, and, of the suffering of the world, allowing the powers of this world to do their worst to him. He knows. He's not up there, like that songwriter said. He's not up there playing hard to get. He's come. He's lived and he's died as one of us. That's thought number two. God knows that life is hard. He has firsthand experience in Jesus. We are his reward, and he knows that life is hard. The third thought is this. There is a third way, a way that's not arrogance and trying to control everything and take it into our own hands and between uh, losing hope and despairing. We don't have to be like God's people, wondering why God doesn't do things our way. We don't have to be like that. And we don't have to lose all hope, simply giving in to despair. There's a third way, and it's the way of faith what Isaiah calls waiting on the Lord at the end of the passage, waiting in hope and expectation. But it's the hardest thing for us to do. I mean, if you remember the story of Abraham, God told him over and over and over again, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have a son. And, and then he waited like 20 years and told him again, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have this son. He's gonna, you're going to look at the stars. You're gonna, your, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. And then another, you know, 50 years or something. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to make, and, and Abraham's thinking, yeah, I hear you keep promising this, but when's it going to happen? And then you also remember that they took the matters into their own hands at that point, and they tried to do it their way. Eventually, Abraham and Sarah, got, they got tired of waiting on God to come through. And it brought them all sorts of trouble when they, when they did it their way. But waiting on the Lord means having faith. Waiting, hoping, expecting. Waiting with hopeful expectation. Even when it seems like God has prom what God has promised will never happen. Even when it seems like God needs a little help to get the job done. I've got four little kids, and it seems like their energy is endless. I don't know if you've ever had kids or ever even seen kids. Maybe you've seen kids play. But the thing is, does their energy ever dry up? We've got them a little go-kart a couple of years ago, and it's an electric go-kart. It goes about seven miles an hour. But what they'll do is they'll get, one will get on it and ride around this circle, and the other ones will run after them following them. And I'm just thinking, I'm already tired just thinking about this. You know, but they'll do this for hours. Do we have to go in now? You know, it'll be like, come on, you've been doing this for hours and hours and hours. Dinner's ready. Come on in. And they're not tired. Anyway, at the end of the passage from Isaiah, it says if God acknowledges that life is going to take its toll, that, su that the suffering and the injustice will cause 
uh, people to grow weary. Because it, listen to what it says. It says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. He's talking about little people that never get exhausted. Life is gonna, he knows that life is gonna be such that it's gonna take its toll on them too. These are the ones that are in the best possible shape. But God knows that it's going to be hard. God knows that life will take its toll. But those, Isaiah says, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait will not only be able to make it, but they will soar. And that's the third thought. That there's a third way between wishing we could control everything on the one side and losing all hope and, and, and falling into despair on the other. And the third way is learning to wait and to trust and to have faith in God. We want to take matters into our own hands. We want to cry out to God and say that he's not paying attention. We want to lose hope and we want to despair. But the third way, the true way, the best way, is learning to wait on the Lord in faith and in hopeful expectation. And we can trust him because we are his reward. And he knows that life is hard. In Jesus, he has entered into the suffering and he knows. And so we wait. We wait on him, trusting that his promises are true. And it's not easy. And I'm really not good at it. I'm just not. But it's the way that leads to life. So, may you and may I May we choose this day to wait on the Lord and to give our lives into his care and to trust him. In Jesus' name, amen.